Hello, and welcome to The Simpsons Countdown, the podcast where we go back to the beginning and watch all of The Simpsons to trace its creative evolution and count down, finding the exact moment in which the show began to suck. I'm your host, Eric Santuan, and this week I'm joined by Natalia Castro, a brilliant friend calling all the way from Colombia. We'll be discussing the episode, The Crepes of Wrath, which originally aired on April 15, 1990. This is the episode where, as punishment for some of his customary elementary school shenanigans, Bart is made to participate in an exchange program which has him shipped to France and forced into slave labor at a scuzzy winery outside Paris. Meanwhile, the Simpsons family has a new guest in the form of a deal, a seemingly sweet little boy from Albania who actually turns out to be a communist spy. That's a lot of plot, really, to cram into one 25-minute segment, but it's handled deftly, resulting in one of the season's best episodes. The richness and complexity of this episode's themes certainly provided a lot of meat for Natalia and I to chew on, in a wide-ranging discussion that touches on those themes about family and community, but we also discuss the realities of participating in a foreign exchange program, and the sometimes unintentional othering that goes on, particularly in the U.S., when people are trying their best to navigate a social interaction with someone from a quote-unquote exotic country. There's a lot going on here, and we get it done in just under an hour. So now, please get comfortable in your living room, bedroom, or bathroom, and enjoy the discussion that follows. Here we go. Hey, so how are you doing today, Natalia? Good, good. How are you? I'm good. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And specifically, we'll be talking about the episode, the... The Crepes of Wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, the main topic. But uh, before we get to talking about the episode, uh, why don't we go over a little background information on your end. What is your relationship with The Simpsons? This is the show I used to watch every Sunday when I went to visit my grandma, basically. The way television used to work here, so the, the, we had like three networks, and a local channel, and one of the networks had the rights for The Simpsons. But what they used to do is they probably bought like one or two seasons at a time. So I basically watched the same episodes over and over again. I haven't watched that many episodes of The Simpsons because we had to watch the same one many times. Did they eventually catch up, or was it just like when Cable came out? No, that was when Cable came out, and that's when we started to get the, the episodes in order. All the seasons, but initially it was just like random episodes for the from the first two seasons. I, you know, that might be very similar to how things were here in Bolivia because uh, um, although I was familiar, like I started watching The Simpsons when it came out, I was and I was still in New York at the time. But you know, shortly after that, I came to live in Bolivia a few years later, mm-hmm. and and I had been coming here on vacation. So, like, I was already familiar. And it was kind of like that. I mean, there the, there were just a few networks, and they would show just the first couple of seasons, I guess. Maybe maybe not just the first two, maybe the first two or three. But after a while, it was that they were just showing just those episodes. And I don't think it really took off until cable also. So it's the same sort of deal. Once cable started becoming more widely available, you had the Fox network, that's where the Simpsons were on, and then they became global in that sense. Um, so in that sense, yeah, I, it's it's very similar. Colombia actually has a very robust television industry. I think in, in at the Latin American level, it might interest our listeners to know that we and- we had a really good run with telenovelas that got experimental, it, and it was really um, it was a time when things got really creative and telenovelas were more. Um, like a serialized dramas, they, they even like venture into different genres. Like they get a, a sci-fi telenovela and an action telenovela. It, it, it was great for a while. When we got Ugly Betty. That was, I mean, that became a huge thing because they even made an American remake of it. But like the, the original Ugly Betty is a Colombian novella, which went on for several years. And, and it was, was super very... successful and funny, adorable show. Yeah. It was great. 
I, even even my dad, who does not watch novellas, watched that. He used to watch that uh, regularly. So, so yeah, they definitely took the world by storm. But then, at some point, they started to remake um, American shows, right? Oh my God, that is the that, worst. There's tons of remakes. I mean, the the one that we all heard about was the Breaking Bad uh, remake. Oh my God, there were so many. We had a Lost uh, remake. A revenge remake. We have an ER remake. An ER. I mean, they got the, the essentially the Colombian version of like George Clooney and all those guys. And the thing is, uh, uh, the Colombian television has gone through these phases, uh, and those phases came after like the golden age of telenovelas here. So after that, uh, we had a time when we made a lot of um, telenovelas about uh, crime and almost glorifying uh, the violence in the country. It was really stupid. And after that, we went for uh, biopics, initially focused on musicians, and then we went for soccer players. And there was a little bit in between that when People wanted to go back to like classic Venezuelan, Mexican telenovelas. But during that time, we also had Fox uh, by a studio in Bogota, which became Fox Tele Colombia. And they started producing these really interesting shows that were not telenovelas. And they were really experimental and really interesting. Now, I don't know where that's gone, because I haven't seen anything new, but it was but really interesting, really interesting storytelling, and that's kind of died down a little bit, because we have, you know, the remakes. So they're still doing it, they're still making, they're still doing remakes of, of shows, of like existing shows. The last one is Breaking Bad, I think. Well, I mean, it's been a while, I mean, I guess they're going to eventually remake Better Call Saul, then. If they already did Breaking Bad, they might as well. Probably, but no, there should be more, I mean, they've been making a lot of crap lately, my god. You know, it's like with, with the United States when they bring something from another country and try to make their own. I get right. that. But we're culturally kind of predisposed to copy a lot of stuff that happens in the United States. So, I don't know, there should be a little bit more room for creativity. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think remakes in general, like, I, I'm, I'm opposed to them. I mean, I don't think we should ever do them. Whether, whether uh, you know, there, there have been good remakes, you know, of certain things. And, it, you know, American remakes of European films or Asian films. And some of them have been good film, good remakes. Uh, but I still i am kind of opposed to that idea in general. And not to be fair, like, I... I checked out a little bit of the Breaking Bad, the Colombian version of Breaking Bad, which is a show called uh, Metastasis. That's the name. Yep. In, and to be fair, like the production values, all of that are fine. It's it's just that they basically took the same. It's the same scripts, and they translated them into Spanish, and they shot them almost shot by shot, exactly the same. And that's and, the problem. And that's it. And so you go like, well, but for that, you might as well just watch the original because you're getting, you know, or you might, and if, and if subtitles are a problem, then watch the original dubbed into Spanish. I can see the value. Like you said, it's about taking something and maybe translating it a little bit to the culture. But they don't really, I mean, it's, they're, they're taking the script and it's pretty much just frame by frame the same thing. So it ultimately, it, it seems kind of fruitless. The, the Ugly Betty remake was so successful because they were able to adapt it to Latin culture in the United States really well. Right, right. Yeah, they, they, did, a, they did a very good job in that particular case. I, I love that show. So if this craze had been around 30 years ago, I wonder if they would have done a remake of The Simpsons. They, they, they haven't done any animation remakes. So right? there isn't like a Colombian family guy or a Colombian South Park. So the thing is with The Simpsons is that it, it has become so influential in so many ways and for so many years. We actually had a show here and I don't know how directly influenced it was by it, but it maybe allowed for people to receive it better. It was called La Tele, and it was really an irreverent uh, show that mocked culture and the establishment. And uh, so, you know, Carlos Vives? Yes, of course. 
he was the producer of that show. I love Carlos Vives. He he created the show. Uh, the show was like a variety show where people behaved very badly and they mocked everything. And you know how pageant, like how beauty pageants are really important here? Yeah, they definitely. essentially send like um, reporters to get drunk and report on the pageants. And I'm not sure that show would have been so well received if we hadn't been sort of prepared by the Simpsons. And it was eventually canceled because it was really controversial, but you know, it was really important. Yes, anyone my age, and they all love that show to this day. As you said, The Simpsons was very influential. Um, you, you said that um, it's influenced your sense of humor. Uh, I can certainly say that it's influenced my sense of humor. And I, I think anybody of, of the past 25, 30 years that have gotten into it, 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 ha it has had a big influence on just humor in general. I, I think about the things that have influenced my sense of humor, and The Simpsons is right there. The Simpsons and Mad Magazine are probably the two things that have most informed my sense of humor coming of age. Had you seen this episode before? No, I don't remember it. So this was the first time, like watching it for this was the first time you were seeing it? Yeah. Well, let's, let's discuss this episode for, for a minute. So it is the, it's the one where Bart goes to France, mm -hmm. and he is, because he is in an exchange, he gets put into an exchange program. And so he goes to France. That's a punishment that he received really well. And I think a couple of things about this, just to, to get the actual details of the episode itself out of the way. It has a really rich kind of plot. The, the, the Simpsons in its first season, and I've said this before, it, it's very much like a, it's an animated sitcom. And it's very much like a live action show, except it's animated. And it follows a sitcom formula in most cases. But you have a few situations where it steps a little bit out of that, and they definitely do something more ambitious that, at that time anyway, could have only been done as a cartoon. Because here you have this whole sort of elaborate story of Bart going to France, which is something that would have, no sitcom budget would have, at the time, would have allowed for that. Uh -huh. So, and... And so on the one hand, you have that. It's an ambitious story. On the other hand, much like The Call of the Simpsons, the, the one where they go camping, you have this one. It seems like there's enough in this that it can appeal to kids because it's focused on Bart, first of all, because it's kind of like a little bit of an adventure story, sort of. It feels almost like the plot of this episode, if they ever wanted to make like a Simpsons movie, you know, they eventually did, but if they wanted to, like back then, a plot like this seems like, It's very like a movie, like it has like a movie plot. You know what it I mean? It would have made a really good TV movie. Yeah, it's a little bit like, I mean, I guess it's only because of the setting, but there's like, you know, the, the Charlie Brown movie, Bon Voyage, Charlie Brown. I haven't watched that. Well, it's, it's, it's from the 80s. It's very mm -hmm. old, but it's an actual movie. Like it was released in theaters. And you know what it is, it's about, it's about the Peanuts gang going to France. So maybe that's why it reminds me. But it's also just because it has that same sort of, cliched quaint vision of france wait until you see what happens to your favorite comic strip characters when they've spent two weeks in france cheese sausages soup for breakfast bon voyage charlie brown and don't come back it's the movie that has everything you want to see because the simpsons are known for being very Uh, like authentic in their portrayal of they're, they're making fun but when they show things they tend to show them in an authentic light most of the time but in this particular case it is still very it's a very sort of hyper real fantastical view of france it's very much an american yeah, they're, they're using the stereotypes when he's driving through the countryside you have the recreations of the famous paintings or you have like the uh, just the the cat the villains of the story are very like stereotypical french bad guys you know what i mean yes. it's so it, it leans on stereotypes more than anything else which i guess works for what they're trying to do with it but it is very fantastical it is very fanciful and very cartoony in a way that that the show would sort of move away from eventually but but um, it also i think that that's something that i always appreciated about this show is that they kind of must 
a lot of serious topics with cutesy and quirky and, uh, you know, like whimsical elements. Yeah, because there's all the stereotypes and all this stuff, but there's also really serious topics underneath. For this episode, it relates to the family uh, relationship. The deeper themes that run through. The deeper themes, and they're always sort of hidden underneath all this um, mischief and fun and, you know, this really sneaky comedy. Like in this case, right, it's a little bit deeper than what what you see on the surface. It says a lot about um, Homer's um, ideal family unit, also a lot about how neglected he feels because he feels disrespected by his children and then Marge is treated like a servant and Liz is usually ignored and Bart feels suppressed. And so it's really, it's deeper than I was expecting, really. Before, when we were talking about this earlier, you did say something that, that was interesting to me. You told me that although the episode superficially seems to be about Bart, you, you think it's really about Homer. It is about Homer. In my, I think it is about Homer. And it's all about, it's what I just said. It's about how his ideal of a family, which he only gets truly when they get a deal. His relationship with his son, right? Like, the, like there, there's this, there is this sort of disconnect where he doesn't, he, he doesn't have, he wants a close relationship with his, with his son. But he wants the type of close relationship with where he's expecting Bart to be incredibly devoted and admiring of him. Right. So it's like a super idealized um, relationship that he wants, but he can't get with Bart. Right. Well, and, and the theme of the, fi- the family dynamics, you're right, because there is, there's part of it that actually is very, it's supposed to be funny, right? Like when, when the, the whole thing, when, so Bart horses around school and he, he injures Principal Skinner's mother. <laughs> With the cherry bomb. Oh, my God. And by the way, I don't like <laughs> a, a brief parentheses. Yeah. Even when I saw this episode, I did try to do that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I, I, did, I said, this, is this going to, you know, I did try to do that. And no, that doesn't happen. That's I, disappointing <laughs> because right. that's amazing. Like, you know, if you, if, you, if you flush a cherry bomb down the toilet, you're just going to flush a cherry bomb down the toilet and you're going to lose the cherry bomb. These look like water pipes, guys. Maybe, wait a minute, guys, shut up for a minute. These pipes must lead to a building or something, a foundation. So maybe if we bang on them hard enough, if we make enough noise... So punishment that they come up with is they, they decide to put him in an exchange uh, program. And when he agrees to it, they're thrilled. And so like, that's funny. But if you really think yeah. about it, it's pretty sad how this like kid who really, I mean, Bart just does these things for attention. Like, he's not a bad person. He's a troublemaker and he just wants attention. Like, like a lot of kids, like they're so happy to be rid of him. And when you think about it, but you kind of feel bad for Bart because it's like, oh, come on, poor kid. I mean, he, well, Bart seems very enthusiastic about the idea. Yes, yeah, baby! It's pretty, like, sad. There's something about that that I wanted to talk about. That I, I think I found it a little inconsistent uh, based on how I remember Lisa. Because Lisa is the most intellectually um, curious of the bunch. But then she doesn't react with any jealousy about the opportunity to go to France. And I don't get that. Well, it's not, they don't go into it too deeply, but she is kind of like ticked off. It's like, I can't believe you're going to get to go to France. I mean, like, she does say something to him, but they don't, they don't dwell on it. it uh, they don't expand on it. Yeah, it was brushed off and I don't know. Yeah. The thing about Lisa in general, but like just in general, as far as inconsistency is concerned, at this time in the first season, everything is being developed. So, and I'm not sure in what order these episodes were, were produced, but they weren't produced in the same order that they were aired. Uh, it's very possible that at this point they were still developing all the characters, right? So at this point, they just hadn't gotten to that with Lisa. The, a couple of weeks before this, you had moaning Lisa, which kind of goes into her, her musical talent and the fact that she's an introspective kid and whatever. 
but who knows? Maybe that episode was written after this. You know, you, yeah. I mean, you don't. It's not so. They this whole first season, there is a lot of inconsistency, not just with Bart and Lisa, but like with Homer and with Marge and with just with with all the characters. They're sort of they're not they're not consistent. They're definitely not consistent. You know, Marge, this is the way I've always wanted it to be. We become a fully functioning family unit. We've always blamed ourselves. But I guess it's pretty clear which cylinder wasn't firing. Your paper-thin commitment to your children sends shivers down my spine. There's something else about um, Homer's idealized family. Uh, He clearly loves Marge. He adores her, basically. But in this episode, it seems to me like in his ideal family unit, Marge would just serve him. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, it seems to me like that. Like, that is his idea. And uh, Adil, later on, makes a comment. When he offers to, uh, to wash the dishes, he says... Mrs. Simpson, you have been oppressed enough for today. I will clear the dishes. No. Okay. She's always oppressed, and she's, like, accepted her role as the submissive wife. And I think that's how Homer likes it. But, but, yeah. but in the end, he always kind of... He, he cares a lot about her. Anyway, but in his idealized version of a family, the wife would be completely devoted. Right. Well, he's looking exactly. He seems to be like he's looking for. That's an interesting perspective that I never really had on this episode. But in, in your insight into Homer's psyche is uh, notable. I mean, the fact that he is sort of a very standard blue collar family man who expects who has certain expectations, at least in this episode. And I think he has like a, a, like a very old-timey idea of what he has to be as a man, I think. Yeah, well, there's, there is, yes. You definitely, and in this first season, you definitely see that. You definitely see a lot of that because there's this episode that sort of goes into that. And then there's the, the episode, the, the episode about the bowling instructor, right? Where mm-hmm. he, where he, so he buys a very selfish birthday gift for Marge. And again, here we see, you know, a little bit of that. It's something that I hadn't really thought about deeply. And now, and now that we're discussing it, I'm, I'm seeing it in, with more clarity. There is definitely a very patriarchal um, sort of nature to Homer and to basically the show, the way the, the series is at this point is very standard in that sense. Yeah, but there's also that, like the, the something else there. Like, it's more about a, a, a very patriarchal guy that's being faced with other ways of thinking. He has a, a, a precocious daughter, who's very intelligent. He has a wife who is devoted to him, quote-unquote, but who will call him on his bullshit when, whenever it comes up. So... In that sense, although he may want it, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, the series presents him that way, but the series doesn't have that mentality. It's clear that he does. Yes, yeah, that's true. It's, it's trying to illustrate this for, for a greater context. It's trying to illustrate this for the audience and sort of trying to comment on it, I think, in a very interesting way. Yeah, so, and it's also very admirable for Marge that she understands that and she's incredibly patient with him. Sure, I've taken a shine to little Adil. Well, he sure makes life a lot easier around here. You have to admit that. Well, okay, I will. If you admit you love Bart. Okay, okay, I love Bart. Dear Bart, everyone here in the United States is fine. And your father, last night he went to sleep talking about how much he loves you. Again, that, that's also kind of heartbreaking, though, you know, because it's the fact It's that, really sad. Uh, you know, because it's the fact that this kid who comes into the picture, Adil, right, uh, yep. just totally falls in love with him. You know, like like Homer just adores this little kid. Yeah, you know, but, it, the, the... but it's because Adil is treating him the way he wants Bart to treat him. Exactly. He, he wants that sort of devotion, looking up to him, uh, that kind of thing. But I, I guess the lesson of it, obviously, again, it is Homer learning a lesson in a way, too, about like... The concept is that, of course, Bart loves his dad and and all of that, but he, he just he expresses it differently, you know, 
And ultimately, I mean, Adil's a hypocrite. He's not genuine in, in, in any of this. He's just trying Well, to... I would say he's, he's a professional. Not a well, hypocrite, but a professional, right, right. you know? He, yeah. So he's totally working Homer. You know, that is a, a, an interesting concept of having these, like, children spies. Uh, again, oh, my God, at the end of the, of the episode when he, he meets with the other, the American spy. So, Sparrow, we meet again. Yes, sometimes I think I am getting too old for this game. Great. That is that is very funny. It's, it, these are little clever touches. I mean, that's a, those are the little things that make this episode special. Buy a deal. I'll send you those civil defense plans you wanted. One thing this touches on, one, one thing that this episode is about is the... It's a, it's, I mean, Bart's an exchange student, right? Yeah. Now, this is a very nightmarish vision of uh, what an exchange program could be like. You grab the grape between your thumb and forefinger and gently twist it off and wrap it in the bucket. Now you do it. Very good. Now do it a million times. You, but you were actually in an exchange program, right? I was for a year. So I'd like you to talk about that if you, if you don't mind. Okay, so I went to the States uh, from 97 to 98. I went to Kimberly, Idaho, which is a tiny, tiny town. It's so tiny. I went to live with a Mormon family, and I went to live with a family of eight kids. They're very religious, and I'm not religious, and I used to go to a private school, and I ended up going to a public school, and I've always been very antisocial, and because they are religious, uh, they have a very social um, life, let's say. So there's a lot of um, meetings and, and groups and activities that are for the community, and so that was a big change, but it definitely wasn't nothing like what Bart had to go through. So I did meet a girl from Brazil. Uh, she went to my same school. And a few months later, she essentially disappeared. And we were told that she was being treated like a maid. So she left. So it is possible to find those scenarios. But in my case, it was great. Right. I mean, the family you were with, they were they were good people. It was just really good people. Yeah, uh, the, they were not. I mean, they're religious, which you're not, but they weren't. They didn't try to impose this on you in any way. They just they no. Just... They encouraged me to participate, but I wasn't forced to. And I decided to participate because you have to respect the the, the rules of the house, basically. And there were really good, you know, social uh, activities that were ben- beneficial in some way, and. Also, you know, they're Mormons and, uh, you know, the reputation Mormons have. And for me, it was an incredibly positive experience. The community received me so well. They were so welcoming. They were really nice. They were very accepting when I decided not to join the religion. They were incredibly respectful about it. So you went to a Mormon family in the U.S. Yeah. Did somebody stay with your family? Is that how it worked? No, not not at this time. So the, the traditional way is that they send a kid. It's like a truly an exchange. You exchange kids, basically. Right. But not, not for my program. I just got to go there. Okay, so you got to go somewhere. And it's not yeah. even that somebody, that somebody, even if they weren't staying with your family, but it's not that somebody in that program went to... to Columbia to no. your school. It's not, no. not like that. No. Okay. All right. And the, the thing also, like what you, what you just said, that's an interesting point. You said that you were going to a private school and then when you were in the U.S., you were in a public school. Yeah. Correct? Now, so here's something. Different. Yeah, it is very, but here's something that maybe people, and, and here, this is something that I might not really, I don't know if it's the same in Columbia, but basically in my case, I mean, I grew up in the States. I mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't I didn't come live here in La Paz until I was in high school. But obviously in the U.S., I was in the public school system. Mm-hmm. It just, that's the way it is for most people, middle class, you know, and there's, you know, you can't afford it otherwise. So, and the public school system in the States is, is pretty standardized and that's how kind of how it is. But then in Latin America, at least here in Bolivia, yes, I was going to a 
private school, meaning that yeah, it's it's a school that you know my my father had to pay a monthly tuition for and, and whatever else, right? So a privately owned school, yeah. Because the public school system here is a disaster, mm-hmm. and it is traditionally something that is reserved for very low income families. Yeah. Who, and then that's you know because I, I went to several schools here because I was not you know I was a bit of a I was a bit of a pain in the ass and the the school I ended up at was probably like on the lowest end of the spectrum but I, I had a great time there anyway but it was you know it was like in the neighborhood but even that was still superior to the public school system and that's what I think it, it's an interesting uh, comparison to make but I don't know if that's how it is in Colombia I mean maybe in Colombia the public school system and the private school, I mean, I don't, I have no idea, but I'm, no, kinda, it's, I'm going... it's pretty much, it's pretty much the same case as yours, but mine is a bit weird. Okay. So I went to a Waldorf school. Have you heard of those? Waldorf school? Yeah. Uh, no, I have not. So... Well, find out, will you just go out there and see if he knows how to fix me a Waldorf salad? They have really small um, classrooms. They're very individualized. It's kind of a hippie school, really. It really is hippie. Like a lot of hippies come out of that. So, so you have your public school that, yeah, it is kind of uh, low income schooling. And then you have your private school and you can find a range of privilege in there. I, I don't even know how to describe really the differences. Okay, so most private schools and public schools use uniforms. And mine doesn't. My type of high school didn't. And there was a lot of focus on arts and music. And they had a very sort of European philosophical um, thing going on. From what you're describing, it sounds a little bit like a Montessori school. It's a little bit, see. Yeah. yeah. And it sounds a little bit like, um, like the school that I went to um, in New York for like fifth and sixth grade of elementary school. It was a public school. But it was very, it was very free form, and it had sort of, um, you know, we, we called our teachers by our first names. The classrooms were, it was a small group of kids. They were comfortable. We had couches. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a traditional classroom with desks and a blackboard and that kind of thing. So I, I kind of, I think I understand sort of what you're saying. But I guess to 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 sum it up, the I guess the difference is that in Latin America, certainly here, and I guess in Colombia. The private school system is accessible to middle class. I mean, it's not cheap. No, but well, I mean, if you're doing well, guess, you can get there. I mean, I guess it must depend. Also, like there, 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 there's different price ranges, different schools, and so on. You know, so obviously, there's the very expensive ones, and then there's the ones that are sort of mid-priced and whatever else. The point is that it is accessible, though, to the middle class. Whereas in the U.S., it's impossible. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just forget it. I mean, just, there's just no, you know, I mean, it might be, there's some situations where maybe it can be, but it, it really isn't, as far as I know. Salary, apples, walnuts, grapes. In a mayonnaise sauce. Right. So that was your experience. So you were in yes. the exchange program. You, you lived with a Mormon family. Um, and yeah, but they, you know, they didn't, uh, they, your, your experience does not quite mirror Bart's in this uh, episode where he's, He's forced into slave labor. Can I have something to go with my turnip? Quiet! There's a lot of stuff going on here. Uh, it's a lot deeper than what it first seems to just be an adventure story about Bart. But it, it talks about the family dynamic. This is this is a good episode overall. I, I, I do think it's one of the best episodes of the first season. I don't know if you agree. It reminded me of what I liked, what I loved about this show, really. Because these episodes had so much detail in them. There's often a lot of situations where you have a lot of jokes or a lot of things that you just don't catch the first time you're watching it. So they, they do hold up to repeated viewings because of that. Because you, you watch episodes more than once and you start to pick up little things. And sometimes you pick up things right away. And some, but the point is there's so much going on that you can pick up things. And it becomes even more prominent later. But you do definitely see that here. There's a lot going on in this episode. It has sort of a traditional, um, it's a traditional kind of adventure story structure, but there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of plot for what is supposed to be just a sitcom. And it's also very topical. Man, there's a lot of commentary about uh, the United States or relationship with foreign countries. It surprises you almost. Well, 
first of all, this uses a real country, which is something that you, you I mean, it, it uses real countries. So yeah. it uses Albania, you know, which is a real country that, to be honest, like, I don't know much about it. <laughs> do, 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 I have do no you... idea about that country. Like, oh. Um, the only thing I know about it is that uh, John Belushi, the John, you know, the Belushi family, they're Albanian. That, that's oh. all I know. They talk the bar! The whole fucking bar! But I don't know much about the culture of Albania. And that's not something that you really hear much about. And I guess this is why they can get away with that. You know, with making this sort of Cold War spy thriller about Albania. You know, I guess they figured it was more interesting than just making it about Russia. You know what I mean? Just making... Just making the kid Russian would have been too obvious. And plus, the Cold War was already pretty much over by this point. It was ending by this point. So they decided to go in this other direction. And yeah, I guess, but when you say topical, your point about how the relationship the United States has with other countries. Mm -hmm. let, let, let's touch upon that a, a little bit more. What, what do you mean by that? Like when they're waiting for a deal and Lisa is um, uh, talking about facts about Albania. And Homer is essentially showing like extreme um, American exceptionalism in the way he um, reacts to these facts. You know, in Albania, the unit of currency is called the lek. <laughs> you gotta be kidding. <laughs> the lek. And the national flag is a two-headed eagle on a red field. Give me the old stars and stripes. The other yeah. part is um, when Adil is at the uh, at assembly and. Okay, so Skinner is making this really unsavory commentary. You may find his accent peculiar. Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd. But I urge you all to give little deal the benefit of the doubt. In this way, can we hope to better understand our backward neighbors throughout the world? So going back to the fact that you were in an exchange uh, program yourself, and when you were in the U.S., and that, I'm, I'm, going, I'm just going to assume, was that your first time to the U.S. when you were yes. participating in the program? Yeah. Okay. Could you relate to that, to, to, to any aspect of that? What's funny is that the only type of uh, weird commentary like that I got was from a, from a Latino at the airport. That was kind of, what the hell, man? Okay, so I was carrying a really big suitcase, and I had shoes, which are heavy. And the guy that was helping me at the airport assumed that it was drugs. Wow. And so that's the kind of crap you have to put up um, if you're South American. But I'm going to say, especially if you're Colombian. I don't even know how to say this, but I guess because the United States has so much in it. I don't know. At least back in the 90s, there wasn't that much curiosity about um, other parts of the world that much. I'm going to give you an extreme example. It was really cute when... Eight and nine-year-olds asked me if I had ever eaten pizza or, or if I knew what a car was, you know, or if we, or if I lived in trees. I thought, oh, that's cute. That's really sweet. But then you get 18-year-olds asking you that, and it's like, come on, man. I completely understand. I, and because for me, it wasn't, I mean, obviously, like I said, I, was, I wasn't a foreign. I mean, I was growing up there. Yeah. But I did a lot of traveling. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so at the time... Because I had family here, I would sometimes come here for vacation or whatever it is, and I would go back. And of course, nobody knew, at least back then, maybe it's becoming more prominent now, but at the time, nobody knew what Bolivia was. Certainly not, like none of my classmates did. Like, I, I remember I would come back from like uh, a vacation, and so where were you? Where, where'd you go? I was like, oh, I went down to Bolivia. What were you doing in Libya? And I was like, no, 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 Bolivia. You know, or, or I would say that I was in Bolivia. People would think that it's a country in Africa. Like, there's just, like, there's, there was no, there's not a lot of knowledge about certain things, right? Um, yeah. Among kids, obviously. That's one thing. And then, yeah, the, the other thing comes with the whole, that, that whole thing about the perceptions. I remember this one time I went, I was already living here at that time, but I would frequently travel back to the U.S. And so... I went to the U.S. and I went to hang out with my, my cousin who was in college and I went to actually hang out with him at his dorm. And he had told his dorm mates, he had told his, his friends that his cousin was coming to visit him from Bolivia. He hadn't elaborated on that. He hadn't said that I was American. He hadn't said any of that. He just, he just said that his cousin was going to come to visit and, he, and they allowed me to crash at their dorm and everything, right? So... I show up, I get there, and my cousin's not there. I think he had class or something was going on. So I come in first, and, and I'm just hanging out. 
and I just say hi, and I sit there in the main room with his with his dorm mates, and they start talking to me as if I were a foreigner, and it is pretty much like what you are saying. They ask me if if I want a beer. They and you know, and, and I was playing it close to my vest. I was sort of like not talking very much, so just like nodding, saying yes, saying no, very quietly. Uh, they asked me if I wanted beer, and the way that they signaled it, do you want a beer? Was, uh. Like emphasizing, you know, they thought I didn't speak English, I guess, and then and I go like yes, and then, and then they so they they bring me the beer, and then they're asking me like, do I if they have beer in Bolivia, things like that, right? They're watching TV. They ask if like. Like, do they show that in Bolivia? Like, they come very close to pretty much asking me if they have television in Bolivia. You know what I mean? So, oh but you know, it's innocent. Like, I don't, I don't hold it against them because it's not. They just don't know any better. And that's, I mean, it was, it, it was funny enough that after a while, you know, then I just like, I just started talking, and it, and it was very embarrassing for them when I actually started talking and they realized that I was that I was American and that I, I, and they said, Oh my God, I feel so stupid. And I was like, nah, I was just playing with you guys. Like I knew, I knew where this was going and I just wanted to see how far you guys were going to take it before you embarrass yourselves completely. So then they just, we just started laughing and it was fine. And then, you know, then I started just telling them about Bolivia and basically telling them that the dude, it's, it's, there's nothing. It's just, yeah, it's a quote unquote third world country, but it is just, it's a country. It's a city. La Paz is a city, like any city, it's, you know, it, um, yes, we have TV, we have cable TV, we have cars, we have, we have tons of things that they have here too, you know, uh, so it was just, it was just funny, you know, but, um, that you definitely see a lot of that in, in this episode, that sort of blissful ignorance, I should, I, I would want to call it, um, towards foreign cultures. But what, I, what I'm saying is like all of that stuff, there's nothing, it's not, they don't know any better. There, there's a certain level of innocence to it, but yeah, that's where we have to be more, um, understanding and tolerant but it gets a little annoying after a while right. well in your case it's just straight up hostile like in your case that's just fucked up like that's like what, what happened to you at the airport that's just yeah in from a latino it's like come on we're but we are latinos and we also have to understand that uh, among our culture there's a lot of prejudice oh there's my god of, we're the worst <laughs> yeah i mean the, you know among our own culture you know the way we see other nationalities, that stereotype about Colombia, unfortunately, yeah, we we propagate that. That's even here, you know, people will be like, oh, Colombia, blah, 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 you know, or, or, or the, the big stereotype about Bolivia is cocaine. You know what I mean? I mean, here's where here's where all the coke is produced. Yeah. Theory like all, all the good blow comes from Bolivia. You know, it's these are things that we have to deal with. These are stereotypes. I mean, the Bolivian people are stereotyped by like Argentinians, like basically Argentinians think that that all Bolivians are los bolitas, you know, like the, we're, we're all just little ignorant pygmies or whatever it is, you know, so, so that, um, that stuff is something that it doesn't surprise me that much that the person that, that did that was a Latino because it's for what we just said. I mean, that's, that goes on, unfortunately, in our culture. Yeah. And back then I was really innocent. So yeah, I, I wasn't expecting that. It just took me like by surprise. Was this high school? Were you in high school when this happened? It, it was high school. Yeah, it was teenager. grade 12. I was a teenager. Yeah. So it was, I don't know, I, I, I was, because we grew up here with this super idealized um, view of the of the states and the people and the whole American dream thing. I don't know, like full of hope. But right. I, but, but, but it was nice, ultimately. There's a lot of great people the community I went to wanted to know about Colombia, the culture, and me, and they were welcoming and tolerant, and I never got a bad joke from them. Milk and honey on the other side. Alex. Tying it back to the episode, you, we definitely see a lot of that here in a way. They, they are commenting on that because of the, the, the horrible treatment, in a sense, that like Skinner's speech and like just the how they view foreigners or all of that stuff is definitely touched upon in The Simpsons. Even and Adele responds really well to that. Although officially I am required to hate you, I want you to know I do not feel it in my heart. It's it is a comment on how the United States, for all for all American exceptionalism that there is, ultimately in the grander global context 
often the U.S. are the villains. Yes, that's you know, true. They they are often are portrayed as the villains, and there's a valid reason, and that and, and it's something that people don't really understand. But why is it that uh, you know there's the stereotype of the ugly American, which is basically how how Homer is behaving when when Lisa is 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 rattling off um, facts about Albania. And he's just being a dick, you know. I mean, he, he's not—he's he, not even being remotely intellectually curious. That's, and that's—that happens. That that mentality exists, and it is why there is the 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 stereotype of the ugly American, and uh, and that is why there is a certain animosity towards America all over the world. I mean, there's a there there are valid reasons for it, and I think this episode kind of touches on that in some way. Homer, okay, so he displays some uh, American exceptionalism, but he also displays some self-awareness in that regard. Because when they're having dinner, so Lisa and Adil are fighting. How can you defend a country where 5% of the people control 95% of the world? I'm defending a country where people can think and act and worship any way they want. Kids, stop fighting. Maybe Lisa's right about America being the land of opportunity, and maybe a deal has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. And that, to me, displays like uh, self-awareness. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's an awareness. I think that the awareness is on the part of the show. Yes, um, yes. It, In previous episodes, you, you've said that the the people that run the show are essentially lefties, and this seems like really lefty, super lefty humor. Yeah, certainly. I mean, cer certainly comes from like that that end of the spectrum, and also, but there is one interesting detail that I w wanted to point out, um, and it speaks a little bit to what you were saying earlier about how Lisa's inconsistent in the way that she's written in, yeah. in this episode. Well, it, that kind of speaks to this too because uh, they've made her intelligent enough that she is having the debate. She's actually engaging in a political debate with a deal, right? But it is the sort of thing where in future episodes, the way that she would come to be developed, Lisa would actually have this view. I, I have a feeling that Lisa would hold socialist views. Oh, she's a hardcore socialist. Lisa would agree with a deal. And the other thing is that it's funny because Homer, the Homer that we would come to know, he wouldn't know what the hell they were talking about. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he... he As far as Homer's concerned, the Homer that we would come to know, as far as Homer's concerned, they're speaking Greek. You know what I mean? Like there, there's just no way that he would even understand the first thing about what they're talking about. You don't expect that from him. And that, I mean, that, again, that's the inconsistency of the of the writing. But it is in the sense that you know, he, at this point, Homer was still a regular person. You know, yeah. he, he wasn't a complete moron. You know, to to the point where he's almost. It's almost surreal how, how much of a, what he eventually uh, develops into. But in this episode, he's certainly more perceptive about things. You know, and again, the, the, and the show is sneaking it in, right? It's making that point. It's making the point about how sometimes what we perceive, the, the way we perceive other, other political structures, right? And how, and in America that happens a lot. You know, they, they really do look at their own structure as being the ideal that that is that that is very very interesting that the show goes there especially in an episode that's kind of it's really kind of cute it's ultimately it is ultimately a pretty cute story i mean it is a, you know if you on the surface the surface level stuff is ultimately very just fanciful just sweet You know, um, yeah. it, it has the, the adventure story aspect of Bart going to France and getting into trouble. And you have the whole thing with the exchange student and all that stuff. Although it's all done on the surface. It's all very innocent and just it's all played for laughs, which is fine. But it is interesting to kind of cut underneath that and find the, the kind of meat that's there, you know? Um, yeah. Like you, you've certainly made me... Made me uh, appreciate this episode on a level that I did not before. And it's uh, so different. Uh, remembering this show as a kid, it's really different. Like, you can take a lot from it. Yeah, definitely. Nice and cozy, Adil. Yes, thank you, Father. Look, Adil, you can call me Dad. All right. 
dead. Aw, you called me dead. So, okay, so what do we think of this episode? The final verdict of the episode. I think uh, I think we definitely have come to... Uh, certainly, in my case, I, I already liked it. I thought it was a, a fun episode. But um, you have given me a lot more perspective than what I had. Yeah, it was a really sweet episode. It was also, uh, like, deeper than I thought it would be. I wasn't expecting that. I have, like, the, 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 the memory of The Simpsons where it's just pure fun. But it's really different to just sit down and analyze it. And it says a lot. This is, there's a lot of, like you said, political commentary and all of that done in a very interesting way. And they began to become more and more crazy over, you know, future episodes. But at this point, they were still kind of, they were still grounded enough that it's, it's a richer episode than what we expect. Yes. So this was a good talk, wasn't it? It was great. This was fun. Uh, yeah, I, ha I had a lot of fun uh, with you. And um, it's... It's going to be uh, it's going to be great to have you back in the second season to keep. Yes, uh, please. It's been great. You you take care. Bye. So that's it for this week's installment of the Simpsons Countdown. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this, please give us a like. If you haven't yet, go ahead and subscribe. Feel free to leave a comment or two expressing your appreciation. And if it isn't too much trouble, please do share this with all your friends, both virtual and actual on your social media platform of choice. And if you should have a counterpoint to any of the matters we discussed today, feel free to share it, so long as you keep things within the parameters of respect and common decency. I'm Eric Santorin, and next time, I'll be joined once again by my good friend, Chris Prentice. We'll be discussing one of our favorite episodes, Krusty Gets Busted. And I can assure you we'll have a lot of fun with the introduction of the legendary Sideshow Bob. I hope you'll join us for that. And in the meantime, stay safe. Please stay home. Practice social distancing and keep yourselves and all of us safe by doing that. Thank you and be well. Jude 20 pounds to have some guy cut a grapefruit in half and stick a cherry in the center. I want a wall. Shh.